And good morning to you. Dave Mitchell, I'm one of the pastors here at Calvary Church as well. Thanks for coming. <laughs> it's a joy to be with you as we go through the Supernatural series. We began a few weeks ago, we're talking about demons, we're talking about Satan, and today we're talking about the supernatural war that is against us. You have a handy outline that will be very convenient and help you to follow along because we're going to explore a lot of territory as we zoom in and out of the spiritual war that we are in this day. And so we want to talk about victory in a spiritual warfare. And uh, there is a lot of struggle with it. I love the, remember the old far side uh, cartoons? Some of you are as old as I am and you can remember those days. I always remembered this one, the two deer talking to each other. Bummer of a birthmark, how? And I often think about spiritual warfare when I think about that cartoon. That everybody who is a follower of Jesus Christ, we've got a bullseye on ourselves. And uh, there's someone out there, there is an enemy out there in the spiritual warfare who wants to take us out. And so they are zeroing in on us. I was intrigued. I read the New York Magazine. There was a woman by the name of Jennifer Sr. who interviewed uh, Supreme Court Justice Scalia and, uh, just this last year. And uh, here is how that conversation in part went. She was talking to him about uh, life and uh, then he even said that he believes in the devil. So we have a Supreme Court that believes in the devil. Of course, yeah, he's a real person, he said to Jennifer. And she said, well, have you seen any evidence of the devil lately? And he said, well, you know, it's curious. In the gospel, the devil is going all sorts of things, doing all sorts of things. He makes pigs run off cliffs. He's possessing people and whatnot, and that doesn't happen very much anymore. It's because he's smart. And she asked, well, what's he doing now? Well, what he's doing now is getting people to not believe in him or God. He's much more successful that way. I mean, come on, the, that's the explanation for why there's not demonic possession all over the place. That's always puzzled me. What happened to the devil, you know? He used to be all over the place. He used to be all over the New Testament. What happened to him? He got wilier. And she said, well, isn't that a terribly frightening thing to believe in the devil? You're looking at me as though I'm weird? My God, are you so out of touch with most of America, most of which believes in the devil? I mean, Jesus Christ believed in the devil. It's in the Gospels. You travel in circles that are so, so removed from mainstream America that you are appalled that anybody would believe in the devil. Most of mankind has believed in the devil for all of history. Many more intelligent people than you or me have believed in the devil. And so we got a Supreme Court justice who's at least theologically aligned with what we want to talk about this morning. But that's the risk that we run. But there are a lot of people that do not believe in the devil, do not believe in what we're going to be talking about this morning, that there is a spiritual war. And the reason for the door is that we want to, there's a lot of us, we want to stay inside sort of the bunker. And what God wants us to do is to open the door and to understand that in another world, there is a, another arena of attacks that are going on. So we're going to step through that spiritual door, enter into the world of the warfare that is against you and me. Whether we believe it or not, it is going on. As Paul says in Ephesians 6, Finally, be strong in the Lord and the strength of His might. Put on the full armor of God so that you will be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. 
For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the powers, against the world forces of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of the wickedness in the heavenly places. And let me just dig a little bit deeper on that word for schemes. Kind of a fascinating term. When Paul says the schemes of the devil, the word schemes is the Greek word methodia. We get the English word method from it, but the uh, next layer down that would not be readily available to the English eye is this. The methodia is two words, meta, which means with or from, and todas, which, or hodas, which means a way. So he wants to have us go after a way. He always has a way. There is a doorway that he wants us to go through, if you will. Now, let me just take it one more step and not to overdo it, but just show you how the little twists that are in Scripture that we often will not see. When you go to John chapter 14, verse 6, Jesus says, I am the way, hodos, H-O-D-O-S, and the truth and the life. No one goes to the Father but through me. Jesus is the way, and Satan wants to present a way. There's a Presbyterian denomination where churches are pulling out. And I was told by one of the leaders of one of the local Presbyterian churches that said, we're pulling out of the Presbyterian denomination USA because, number one, they're helping to support homosexual marriage. But number two, and for me this is the more critical one, because in their doctrinal statement they say, that Jesus is a way to heaven, not the way. So you take back to Methodos. Satan loves to create a way. He wants Jesus to be simply a way, not the way. And there you see some of the scheming, deceptive, very close to the truth, but not really the truth. Deceptive in its counterfeit production of the way people think. So that's sort of that world that we're entering into. Satan can use very overt warfare. You have in the outline some of the diseases that he's able to create, some of the possession. I'm not going to go down that road because I don't see a lot of that overt that's happening in Orange County in many of our homes. But let me say that it is happening overseas when you have uh, Coptic Christians being beheaded by 20 of them. You have 30 or so Egyptian uh, Christians being beheaded simply because of their faith. You have an Iraqi uh, believer, a woman who wanted to come to the United States right now, but our State Department refuses for her to come because she wants to come and talk about the mass genocide that is taking place in communities in Iraq where simply because people believe in Jesus, their homes are being destroyed, and now those families whose homes are being destroyed in Iraq are having to live in cardboard boxes. She wants to come and talk about that. And our State Department will not let her come because they're fearful that she will come and not go home. And so some wise guy said, we'll fly to Mexico and just walk across the border and you'll stay as long as you want. But that's a whole nother, that's a whole nother topic for another Sunday. There is overt warfare going on. We have a day of prayer this coming Thursday that I encourage you to come here on our campus. Sort of a way for you to do it on your own pace. Where there will be places for you to go and pray and things for you to consider at those locations. 
and bring those people around the world, the persecuted church that is suffering for the cause of Christ. So this coming Thursday, from early morning to the evening, you're welcome to come at your convenience and use that time as dedication to pray, and especially for the overt warfare of believers around the world that are suffering simply because they're followers of Jesus Christ. What I'd like to talk about is the covert way. Let me take you to our backyard. This is a picture of our concrete patio in our backyard. And our patio, concrete patio, has been there for as long as the home has been there, which is like 30-some-odd years. And uh, it's got, a, like, like faces that are over 30 years old, it's got a lot of cracks in it. And so everywhere there is a crack, one of the problems is that, that weeds grow in these cracks. I struggle to grow grass where I fertilizer it and mow it and water it, but I don't do a thing to these cracks and they just grow like crazy. It's just crazy. It's just, that's sin. Isn't that sin? You work so hard to be righteous and then sin pops up over here and you hadn't done anything and there it is. Well, weeds grow in cracks. Bad things grow in cracks. Cracks allow things to evolve that we don't want to evolve. And what we're going to look at this morning are five cracks, spiritual cracks, these little places where Satan can get a foothold, little ways that he can insert himself into our lives, little ways where he can fill us, control us, guide us, tempt us, influence us to be the kinds of people we don't really want to be, God doesn't want us to be, but we end up doing it anyways. And so I'm not going to go... There are lots of sins out there. There's lots of sins. There's opportunities to sin in a whole lot of ways. But I'm going to take those things where God has very clearly identified. And this is the thing. God is very clearly identified in these five spiritual cracks. And He has linked them directly to satanic behavior. And so a lot of the sins we do, like jealousy and envy, well, those just kind of because we're sinful people. Self-motivated But these five areas are directly linked to satanic or demonic attack. These are warfare front lines issues. Let me show you. The first front line issue, the first spiritual crack, if you will, that we would experience Satan's covert warfare is in the area of stewardship and materialistic desires. He loves that, especially in Orange County. That's such a big deal for us here. We are so consumed with that. One of the examples of that, the very first, the very first public sin in the church. The church begins in Acts 2, and by Acts 5, they've already got people dying because they're sinners. And so it's just amazing the transformation that occurs. And that sin is a sin of greed, where Ananias and Sapphira came. And we're not going to have time to go into all these passages. Give you a little of the highlights of those verses. You can read them on your own. But it says, Peter says to Ananias, and his wife Sapphira was there, but she was away at this moment. And Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit to keep back some of the price of the land? People were coming in Acts chapter 4, the very last verses there. They're bringing property. They're bringing their possessions. They're bringing money. They're bringing all that they have to give to the, the leaders of the church so that the church people who are being ostracized by their family members because they're becoming followers, they're saying, yes, Jesus was the Messiah. We follow Him. And then they're cut off from their family. So the church is gathering money. They're generously giving to one another. 
And so people want to get in on that, and they're saying, wow, this is already fantastic. So Ananias and Sapphira, this husband and wife team, they walk up to the apostles, they walk up to Peter, and says, well, we have sold this product, whatever it may be, this land. Say we've sold it for $100, and everybody's, wow, $100. And, but what they say is that they only gave them, say, $70, and they kept the 30 back for themselves. But they presented it as if they gave it all. I don't know how Peter knew this, but he knew it. He knew that that offering was deceptive, hypocritical, and a lie. And Satan has filled your heart to lie. And that's why we say in church, two of the most dangerous times in this service this morning are number one in the offering and number two at communion. In Scripture, people have died for not doing those things properly. So I just want to warn you. (laughs) I do funerals, but I'm not looking for business. (laughs) Greed was one of those sins. And Peter goes to Ananias. Notice the linkage between Satan and greed. This is the thing. There's lots of sins out there, but I'm taking the five sins that link it to Satan. Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie? Satan wants us to pose pretend, seem to be better than we really are. And this goes squarely on the area of greed and wanting to look better. Loving the things of the world. 1 John 2.15 Do not love the world nor the things in the world. The whole world lies in the power of the evil one. Satan wants us to love the things of the world. Here's the way you fight back. In each of these sins, I have fight back passages. Stand firm, resisting passages. One of the great ones is 1 Timothy 6. But godliness actually is a means of great gain when accompanied by contentment. Paul says, be content with whatever you have. Don't always want more. For we have brought nothing into the world so we can take nothing out of it either. We have food and covering. With these we shall be content. But those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a snare and many foolish and harmful desires. And notice the, notice the, the deterioration of those who want to get rich foolish and harmful desires, plunging men into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is the root of all sorts of evil. Some by longing for it have wandered away from the faith, pierced themselves with many griefs. Why does Satan tempt us with greed? Because he sees what greed does to us. It ruins us. We wander from the faith. It destroys families. It destroys relationships. We begin to cycle down into this destructive way of life. Then he says, here's what you should do. Instruct those who are enriched in this present world not to be conceited or fix their hope on the uncertainty of riches, but on God, who richly supplies us with all things. That's what we should do. We who are wealthy are those who are rich in good deeds. Be wealthy in doing good. Be wealthy in being generous. He says to them, instruct them to be rich in good deeds, to be generous and ready to share, storing up for themselves the treasure of a good foundation for the future so they may take hold of that which is life indeed. And there's a lot of things we need to do. And let me just illustrate it very simply, and this would be a little self-serving, but I don't mean it to be so self-serving. And so I'm hoping not to have the sin of pride when I share what I'm going to share with you right now. Because I try to be as humble as I can and proud of it. (laughs) And so, our daughter Jessica, who has her own home and is moved out, praise God, she... (laughs) She bought herself a new car at one point. And she bought a Mazda 3 hatchback. And she bought it over here at this Tustin Mazda or whatever the store is called. 
And so we were very impressed by that. She did it all on her own. She didn't need me to go there and sort of dicker with the guy. She just did it, and she did it. So, so Jessica attends Wednesday night, and she goes to Dave uh, Ramsey course that we have. We have Dave Ramsey. You know, we've got the freed up kids for financial freedom coming this Wednesday night. We also have a Dave Ramsey course on, on Wednesday nights. So she goes to Dave Ramsey. One of the things that Dave Ramsey says is get out of debt. Don't have debt. Don't buy cars on time. One of those wasted sources of funds is to buy cars on time, he says. It's debt. You'll never get that back. That car continues to depreciate, and your bank account depreciates at the same time. And so she was convicted over that, and so she put her car up for sale. This brand-new Mazda 3, she put it up for sale. She says, I want to get out of debt. And so she wasn't, it wasn't selling. In fact, I rode with her when a guy came and, and drove it around, and, and after he drove it around, well, just let, let me drive this thing. Let me see whether I like it or not. And so I drove it around. I said, I kind of like your car. Well, at that time, some of you might know, I was driving around a little red Mini Cooper. And people had always remarked, I knew that you were at the church because I saw your little red Mini Cooper. Because it really stands out. And it's a little unnerving when I drive down the road and people are yelling at me because I stand out. And so I said, Jess, I'll buy your car if I can sell my car. And for the price that I sell my car, I can buy your car because I don't want to go into debt. I have no, we have no car payments. I don't want car payments. We believe in being out of debt. And so I said, well, if I can sell my car, I'll buy your car. I put my little red Mini Cooper on Craigslist. And within the day, a man calls me, comes, drives it, and buys it. In one day, on Craigslist. Craigslist. And I said, well, and he wanted to, you know, he wanted to lowball me. Well, here's the thing that he did that was crazy wrong. I said, well, who are you buying your car for? I'm buying it for my daughter. She just turned 16. And my daughter, when she became, turned 16, I asked her, honey, if you could have any car in the world, what car would you want? And she said, I'd like to have a red Mini Cooper with a white top. So I knew I had him by the throat. <laughs> and so he lowballed me, and oh, no, 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 okay, you're at my price. I'll sell it to you. So I sold it to him. And he bought it and drove it off. And I went over and bought Jessica's car. She's out of debt. I'm out of debt. And I bought her a, a Volvo wagon that has 250,000 miles on it. <laughs> so now half the time I'm going over there fixing something on it. But, but she's out of debt. And uh, there's certain freedoms in that because now she has a nonprofit organization called Ezra's Hands. And Ezra's Hands ministers to the Misters, those young sibling women, young girls, who have young sibling boys and girls who are minors, and that Ezra's hands now is to minister. That's a nonprofit. She wants to be able to support the work of caring for these in Orange County. When you're in debt, when you have all these car payments and house payments and credit card payments and American Express card payments and Costco payments, to go to Costco is like getting a second mortgage in your home anymore. When you get all these debts, it strangles you and, and inhibits you from being able to do good and be rich in good works with the finances of generosity. God wants us to be generous people. And if I'm all choked up with debt, it limits my capacity to do more, to have new opportunities come. So we have the Generation Project. Let me give you one miracle, and I'm going to move on real fast because I'm using up all my time right here. 
and wouldn't it be just like a pastor to spend all his time and money? <laughs> Generation Project, we're so thankful to build that student center. The Restoration Project, these walls that last night Tim Hawkins mocked and called Noah's Ark. I, I forgive him for that. I've let it go. But the Generation Project, God has kick-started that work. We didn't know whether we should start because we didn't have all the money to do it, like a million and a half dollars. And so we're about at 800000 And here's the debate. 800000 We have 800000 now given pledged. Should we start it or shouldn't we start it? Well, God decided for us. He did. Last Christmas, while no one's here, a pipe burst in the nursery where the student center is going to be. And for days, the water flooded that area down there. That's why we have a drought now. And so it's flooded all that area. And the water rose and the drywall was destroyed. Mold began to grow in there before anybody ever knew about it. And so we went down there and discovered it days later. Stopped the flooding from going on. But it was utterly destroyed because of all that. The carpet, everything. And so we called the insurance company. Explained it. They came. They evaluated And they said, we'll pay for it. And they just sent us a check last week for $80,000. And we say, okay, we're going to do it. And so they paid for the mass destruction. You go down there right after church this morning. You go down there. All that was taken out because the insurance people paid and because the construction crews are ready. So let's launch this thing. Remember Squirrel Gate where the squirrel chewed the power line over here? Well, it chewed the power line and it blew out you know, a lot of our, uh, our brand new uh, fire system, our electronic fire system we just put in, and our elevator over here for our, our uh, uh, motor on that. Well, that was another $80,000 worth of damage. And we got a check from the insurance company for 80000 for that. So the $160,000 just out of that. And so that's a beautiful thing. And so I say, God's done His part. Now it's time for the rest of us to do our part to finish up the work. So he says, look, Dave, don't, don't waste any time getting to it. I've, I've kick-started this thing. I've jump-started it. I've done GoFundMe, started it with the insurance companies. And so let's go for it. So we want you to know that why getting out of debt, it frees you up for generous things because God's constantly bringing opportunities to support ministry. They're constant. I get letters. We get letters every week of someone looking for funding for something. We want to have freedom to be able to do what God puts in our hearts to do. And so all of that is Satan loves to create greed. The second area is an area of temptations to sin. Direct line and marital weaknesses. If you have a weak marriage, you are prime for satanic temptations. Stop depriving one another except by agreement for a time that you may devote yourselves to prayer and come together again lest Satan tempt you. He doesn't say that about any other sin, but he says when there is marital weakness, Satan will tempt you because you have a lack of self-control. Satan loves to come into weak marriages and cause a creative rationale to say that he doesn't understand me. If you understood how I live with her, if you heard what she has to say, if you heard what he has done, and, uh, and then we find someone else at work that really gets me and understands me. I found this person that really listens to me, my husband, my wife. They don't, but this one does. And then there is this draw, there is this emotional connection. It could turn into a physical connection. 
But there is that satanic temptation that comes into a weakened marriage. A marriage bond is unlike any other human bond we have. God has said that. To create adultery is, is it's like a death. There is unlike anything that a marriage has. So Satan loves to weaken what God has created so that he could tempt. Another area of temptation is this. In terms of physical and emotional weakness. In Matthew chapter 4, Jesus is tempted by the devil. He's brought up this mountain. And in Matthew chapter 4, it says, Then Jesus was led up to the Spirit in, by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights, he then became hungry. And the tempter came and said to him, If you are the sons of, Son of God, command these stones to become bread. When he's hungry, the tempter says, Take the stones, make them bread. It's not sinful to eat bread. It's not even sinful to turn stones into bread. Jesus turned water into wine. Jesus multiplied the fish and the loaves. He can do those miracles. That, that's not sinful. But then Jesus said, Man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Then the devil took him into the holy city and had him stand on the pinnacle of the temple. And he said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written. And, G and Satan quotes Scripture to, to Jesus. Satan knows the Bible better than I do, better than you do. He knows it all. He's lived for thousands and thousands of years. And Satan quotes the Scripture to Jesus and he says, God will command His angels concerning you. On the hand they will bear you up so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. And Jesus said to him, On the other hand it is written, You should not put the Lord your God to the test. Then the devil again took him to the very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said, All these things I will give to you if you fall down and worship me. And that's a legitimate request because the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. I control these things. I'll give them to you, Jesus. You don't have to die on the cross. I'll give it to you now without sacrifice. And then Jesus said to him, Go, Satan, for it is written, You shall, not, you shall worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Then the devil, devil left him, and angels came and ministered to him. Satan did not ask Jesus to go molest a child. Satan did not ask Jesus to go lie or be jealous. Satan did not ask Jesus to go commit fornication. Sins that we all recognize are wrong. These things that he asked of Jesus, mild in comparison, except maybe to worship Satan, obviously that would be wrong, but to uh, turn stones into bread, to jump off a building, let the angels catch you, as Scripture says. What harm is that? Here's the harm. Here's the subtleness of the temptation. I broke down the temptations, and I don't have time to get in Genesis 3, but that's the first temptation of Satan to Eve, comparing it to the temptation of Satan with Jesus. Notice the parallel. Satan has not changed his tactics in thousands and thousands of years. The temptation to Jesus to eat the stones, turn them to bread, Satan is saying, I want you to be happy, Jesus. Pleasure. Here are the uh, the five P's that I consider the five P's of pride. Pleasure, prestige, position, power, possessions. They're all right here. Satan says to Jesus, take these stones, turn them into bread. I know you're hungry. You deserve to eat. You deserve to feel better. Take what is here and get pleasure from it. Secondly, you will not hurt your foot. Jump off there. You will not hurt your foot. If you're the Son of God, do that. If you're the Son of God, show us your power, your position. Show us your prestige. Prestige is how I want people to see me. Position is how I see myself. And then thirdly, 
You can have all these kingdoms, power and possessions. Jesus, you have all the power you came to gain. You will have all the possessions. These kingdoms will be yours. Now, what's wrong with all those things? Pleasure, prestige, position, power, possessions. The subtle temptation is this. What Satan tempts you and me to do is to live independent of God, to not need Him, to go based upon my own value systems of pleasure, position, prestige, power, possessions. Let those be my God, not God Himself. So it's very subtle temptation that Jesus is being drawn into. And Jesus, of course, does not sin. But for you and me, the temptation is for us to begin to live independent of God. And for example, like pleasure. Taking a bad marriage. A bad marriage where Satan tempts us. Line that with eat the stones turned to bread. It's all about pleasure. And here is the key phrase. I deserve to be happy. I deserve to be happy. I want those things that make me feel good. And adultery makes people feel good sometimes. Emotional adultery makes some people feel good sometimes. And so God says, these are areas of weakness. Satan's going to tempt you to become independent of me. And say, I've got this handled. I don't need therapy. I don't need counseling. I don't need a support group. I don't need accountability. I'm okay. I'm okay. That's the root issue of Matthew 4. I'm okay. I don't need God. I don't need His Word. I'm just going to do my own thing based upon the five P's of pride. That is subtle temptation. That's why it's sometimes hard to identify it. But it is right there. It's the root of what Satan loves to do. We need to fight back with James. Let no one say when he's tempted, I'm being tempted by God, for God cannot tempt, be tempted by evil, but he himself does not tempt anyone. You need to identify your own lust. You're enticed by your own lust. What is my lust? What are those things that that cause me to want to be tempted in sin. I need to identify what they are. Some things don't tempt me. Other things do tempt me. I can look at a pecan pie and I'm never tempted to eat a piece of it because I don't like nuts. But you put a, a Sara Lee cherry pie next to me and it's all I can do to not eat it. I'll consume. I, I know what tempts me. And so, anyways, you fight back with that. The poor attitude. Let me move along very quickly now, sorry. The poor attitude are two. There are two attitudes that Satan loves to use in your life and my life. Attitude number one is anger. As Paul says, do not let the sun go down in your anger. Do not give the devil an opportunity. Now, Paul does not say that about all the other sins in Ephesians 4. There's a lot of other sins he has there. But he only says in anger, the devil has opportunity. Why does the devil have opportunity in anger? Because Proverbs 29.22 says, An angry man stirs up strife. A hot-tempered man abounds in transgression. Satan knows that if you're angry, and angry is not just blowing up like a volcano, anger may be under the surface bitterness or spirit of revenge where there is a, there's a shutdown of my emotional well-being because I am angry over something that happened yesterday or happened 20 years ago. I've never overcome the wound of what that damage is. So I live this angry life where I push people away. I don't trust people. I don't trust God. I'm just angry because anger causes sin to abound. Satan knows that. 
So he uses that ploy. You fight back by confessing it. He who conceals his transgressions will not prosper. Confess and forsake it and you'll find compassion. Satan doesn't want us to confess. That's why we hide things. We don't confess things. We hide things. We come to church. We pretend like I'm okay. So I read in the news this last week, the number one sin that we all commit is this lie. How are you doing? Fine. How many of us have said to somebody who said, how are you doing today? Fine. And if we really have the time, we're not fine. And there are things that we don't want to reveal, obviously, in an appropriate way it should be. The beginning of strife is like letting out water. So abandon the quarrel before it breaks out. You move yourself from the quarrel. You move yourself from the angry person. Do not associate with a man given anger or go to a hot-tempered man. You'll learn his ways and find a snare for yourself. Because Satan loves to use that snare of anger to destroy relationships. The other area is anxiety. We've talked about this already, so I can move quickly. Casting all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. Be of a sober spirit, but on the alert, your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Satan loves to create anxiety. Anxiety literally means to draw in different, distra- different directions, to be distracted, unstable, divided mind. That's why anxiety is so fearful. It causes me to live this very unstable life, and I'm vulnerable to his attacks. That's one of those concrete cracks where bad things grow up in a, an anxious heart. You fight back by casting all your care on the devil, on the Lord, on the devil. See, see, even Satan's here. That was Satan's fault, not my fault. <laughs> casting all your anxiety in him because he cares for you. Conflicts in relationships, this is a big one that we don't have justice for it. just want to highlight it for you. 2 Corinthians 2, 10 and 11 says this. This is such an important passage to understand. Paul is talking about the church in Corinth forgiving a man who has committed some kind of sin. We don't know what it is. But the church was not forgiving him. They're heaping judgment on him. They're condemning him. They're not forgiving him. They're punishing him. So Paul says, I have forgiven him. I want you to forgive him. So he says, if I have forgiven anything, I did it for your sakes in the presence of Christ in order that no advantage be taken of us by Satan for we're not ignorant of his schemes. One of the schemes, one of the cracks, one of the concrete cracks where weeds grow up, one of the schemes is to have an unforgiving heart. He loves to insert himself in people who have an unforgiving heart. If you have relationships where you refuse to forgive, then you are you are apparently ignorant of his schemes because he will work his way into that and he will destroy your soul. You will become depressed. You will be angry. You'll be difficult to be with. An unforgiving spirit is so damaging to the soul. It's a woundedness that, you know, it's like a wound that never heals up. It's like that flesh-eating disease that can kill a person. You fight back with what he says here. Sufficient for such a one is his punishment as they continue to punish him. He says, so on the contrary, here are the three things you need to do. Forgive, comfort him, and at the very bottom, love him. Let me break those three down. If you are living in a relationship where you are unforgiving of another person, 
the first thing you need to do is to forgive them. Now, what does it mean to forgive? Forgive does not mean that I therefore forget that it ever happened. I pretend it didn't happen. It was no big deal that it happened. It was a big deal that it happened. Don't minimize the damage done. But the word for forgive is charismai. It's, uh, uh, Matt Davis, who is up here, his daughter, his name is Charis. Charis is the Greek word for grace. Charismai comes from charis. It means to be gracious. Paul is asking us to forgive by being gracious and kind, not dismissing and denying. The worst thing you can do in an unforgiving heart is to dismiss and deny. It's a reality. Don't pretend it as if it's not a reality. But in your relationship, be gracious. Then you're being forgiving. And then comfort. Come alongside encourage. The word parakaleo, para mean to beside kaleo, to call come alongside to call. Sometimes it's even used to beseech, to plead because you want them to change. And then love them. Engage but don't endorse. And love them. You have to endorse their behavior but you can engage in a loving relationship as well. And then finally, the fifth crack is counterfeits. Satan loves to create counterfeits. Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. Therefore, it is not surprising if his servants also disguise themselves as servants of righteousness whose end will be according to their deeds. He loves to create counterfeits. Satan is big time in this area, I think, today. Let me give you some illustrations. Theologically, he's creating a lot of counterfeits. We saw this last week. The Spirit explicitly says in the latter times, some will fall away from the faith, paying attention to deceitful spirits, doctrines of demons. Satan loves to bring up lots of other doctrines that drown out the true doctrines. If I had a $100 bill right here, and I should have brought one with me, and if, but if I had a $100 bill here, and it's a brand new one, and it's real, you would say, well, that's, that's a $100 bill. If I had a $100 bill, and I threw it on the platform here, and then dumped about a 1,000 false or counterfeit $100 bills, what happens to the real one? It's buried. You can't find it. You can't distinguish it. It looks like all the others. So what Satan loves to do is create counterfeits, angels of light, deceitful doctrines, doctrines of demons that come alongside. You know, speaking of this door, the, the church I referenced before when I said there's a church here in Tustin that says we take the Bible seriously but not literally. Now on their sign you know, this week, uh, we're a church of many doors for all kinds of people. Well, I don't know what they mean by that necessarily, but there's a lot of people believe that there are many doors to heaven. There are many religions and they all are valuable. They're all valuable. So there are false religions that are propping up and there are false families. This thing that happened in Baltimore last week, the Baltimore police commissioner says to parents, take control of your kids. And part of the, pre- part of the reason for that is because we have counterfeits of families that are trying to do what God had intended a mom and a dad to do. We have families where single mom is working like crazy to do her very best to rear those children. But without a dad in the home, she's handicapped. So we have these other alternative family lifestyles that are being created. Homosexual marriages is a, is a counterfeit to the real marriage. And the more we get other definitions of marriage, the less the true marriage stands out as God's creation and God's primary way through which children can grow up. There's a wonderful article in a USA Today this last week of a woman who filed with the Supreme Court against homosexual marriage. And she says, my mother is a lesbian living with her lesbian lover. But I'm against having 
same-sex parents in a home because I know, and it's a reality that's out there, that children would much prefer to have a dad and a mom rear them than two moms and two dads. We just know that that's a better way for children to grow up, to learn from both sides of the sex aisle. And so we know that there's alternative counterfeits that come along and create this confusion. And then one of the things you may not know this, that Facebook has 51 genders. You know how you used to fill out a form that says male, female? Now you fill out a form, male, female, other. And there are 51 genders. Did you realize that? There are 51 genders. Man, you're so out of touch. I can't believe it. 51 genders. Transgender, trans... I don't have time to go into it all. It's It's just... it's just amazing. So we create all these other accounts. And just confusing. It's confusing to people. Who am I? What am I? And Satan loves to create these counterfeits so that I, don't, I lose sense of what really is and what God has created in me. And so we need to move forward in victory. We confess Christ as Savior. We trust in Him as Lord and Savior. We live in the power of the Holy Spirit where He fills us and gives us capacity that we otherwise would not have. We confess and turn from any attachments. This is all in the outline. From any attachments that try to drag me down. Influences that destroy my soul, my purity, my heart. And then we grow in our knowledge of God's Word so that I'm obedient to those words. So that I please Him with my life. I test and discern false doctrines. I'm alert to what those are so I can identify them when they come. And then I pray this prayer. Would you pray this prayer with me and then we're going to move to communion. But remember this last week. This is such a powerful prayer. Pray this every day if you're in spiritual warfare. Would you pray this prayer? Would you say this out loud with me? I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened so that you will know what is the hope of His calling, what are the riches of the glory of His inheritance in the saints, what is the surpassing greatness of His power toward us who believe. These are in accordance with the working of the strength of His might which He brought about in Christ when He raised Him from the dead and seated Him at the right hand of the heavenly places far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And He put all things in subjection under His feet and gave Him His head over all things to the church, which is His body, the fullness of Him who fills all in all. That's our Christ. That is the ruler of all. And when I walk in the strength and the authority of who Christ is in me, I overcome the spiritual warfare. And then we live secure life like this door is now closed. And we enter into this time of communion. We recognize that the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus gives to me victory. It helps me to overcome the five cracks where maybe there are weeds growing up. If you identify some of the weeds in your life, then I ask you to confess those to Christ and say, God, give me the power to overcome those things. If it's an unforgiving spirit, give me the grace to forgive. If it's a materialistic world, God, help me to get on a plan for debt free. Whatever those things may be, that God brings you to that point of freedom from those things. So you work in the power of His Spirit, not in the power of your spirit, not in the power of the evil spirit, but you have that kind of victory. That's what Jesus died to provide for us. We're going to receive these elements. The first is the bread. It represents the body of Jesus Christ. That body that was crucified, born in human flesh, fully God, fully man, but human flesh, so that He could die in our place, in our behalf. 
And let me give thanks for this bread as we receive it at this time. Father God, I thank you that you have helped us to understand a little bit of the war that is raging, of the ways in which we can be undermined in our faith. Our relationships, Lord, are so key with you and with one another. Help us to walk in obedience to those truths. Help us, Father, now as we remember the body of Jesus, that he came to this world to die for us, to take our place for us on that cross so that we could identify with him as he identified with us in human flesh. And he came and he was sinless in that flesh. He was fully righteous. And that we can receive that righteousness as we confess our sins to him. And we remember what a sacrifice it was as we take this this bread and use it to remember him. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.